Everybody, 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 drop your stop, 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 Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we are talking Survivor 43, Episode 3, I'll Sign the Divorce Papers. (laughs) Evan is here. You're here, Evan. Uh, I'm here. (laughs) Not for long, because Evan (laughs) is going to be taking a little break. Don't think of it as a reflection on his thoughts on 43, whether it aligns or not. Uh, Don't think of it as him leaving the podcast. He's taking a much-deserved holiday. So Evan will not be here for the next couple of weeks, but we are trying to lock in some iconic guest hosts and uh, very excited about that. But let's talk about the here and now. Evan, I know it was rough last week. How did you feel about episode three? Well, the waters were smoother without question. Um, I'm not sure I'm like totally vibing with 43 just yet. Um I don't think it was a particularly like exciting episode, but there were some small moments that I'm excited to chat about. I think more than anything, I don't know. I was I was listening to um, Know It Alls this morning, and the episode was 53 minutes, and I'm I'm used to like um, recap. I mean, we famously our recaps tend to run longer than the episodes themselves. And there was something about seeing that they were only chatting for 53 minutes. And mind you, 53 minutes is a long time to chat about something. But in the world that I'm in, it's not. Um, And so there's something about the season where it's like, it's not that I have necessarily issues with anything from episode three. I think it was an improvement on episode two. I just don't have a ton to say about Mm. it, which I think is not a great thing. Well, you famously start many episodes saying you don't have a ton to say and then we go for an hour and 20 minutes okay so we drag me drag me (laughs) i've done the same what did you think i actually thought this was the best episode of 43 yet i think it was very familiar i think coming back to the hour-long format it's a sad week for the extended survivor episode because i think that they bungled it a little bit in episodes one and episode two and i think that they were trying something out last week with the 90 minute episode to see you know can we stretch this a little bit further can we get more content for the same price people have been asking for longer episodes for a long time but ultimately i think they focused on the wrong things i think it's I think there's still value in having 90-minute episodes here and there on Survivor, maybe not every episode. But I think that there's some very exciting opportunities that 90 minutes lends itself to Survivor, and I think that they didn't do it justice last week. So all that to be said, I feel very happy to be back in our comfortable 44-minute episodes here uh, because I think that they hit all the right beats i like i've been seeing a lot of comments online that this episode was boring this episode was bad i actually kind of disagree i enjoyed myself during this episode i thought that we learned a bit about every tribe maybe the coco tribe we're still not getting all the details on but i thought that you know carla got a couple of really great segments which we'll talk about and i think that the dynamics over on the Baca tribe, the yellow tribe are, you know, unfolding in an interesting way. I mean, I don't know that it's like the most gripped I've ever been by a tribe before, but like, I think that they presented it in a way that furthered my understanding. It was like one step further than, you know, what we saw in episode two. I think they're probably the most well-developed tribe in terms of the storytelling and where everything is landing. Because of course, with Vessi going back to tribal, it's like back to back, We've the editors are still hoodwinking us in terms of like, or trying to blindside us in terms of where the vote is going. And I think that that becomes a little bit of a problem when you have a tribe going to tribal uh, back to back because you're not getting the full truth of what's going on on that beach. Whereas the Baca tribe, I feel like we see what's going on. We see the dynamic and it's building to something where they're going to go to tribal and somebody's going to be making a move. One of the two camps of like Gabler, Sammy, or Ellie, Justine, Janine, rather, Justine is gone. (laughs) Ellie Janine will win out. And uh, so that I found really interesting. So all that to be said, you know, I was like, 
pleasantly surprised with this episode. Cool. Okay. Let's dive into some of the details here. Let's talk about the Vesi tribe first, because they didn't get a whole lot in the pre-merge portion in terms of uh, some camp life and dynamics, but we did get a little bit about Cody and Jesse, who are celebrating their successful vote, uh, their vote out of Justine, and RIP to the hat idol. I think we got a confessional with Cody talking about how, you know, recapping for us that he gathered all the beads that he needed to gather and now has a proper idol and he held it up. It was a bracelet. So he has dissembled the disassembled the hat idol. We will not be seeing a hat played at tribal council, it seems, because he does have the actual bracelet. So that is a little bit disappointing because I did think, if anything, we could see a hat played at tribal council. And we get a little bit about NECA. So NECA's braiding Dwight's hair. I think that will be her legacy on this season after she was voted out. This episode is giving Dwight a new look, and I really like it. And we get a little bit of backstory about her, which <laughs> like, I don't want to disparage the children in Nigeria, but I wasn't really feeling this backstory much. It was confusing. I didn't understand what her role in the mission was and what she was going to bring. Like I thought, I thought it was going to go one step further where she was going to be like, I'm going to use the million dollars to like infuse this charity with, or I don't even, is it, is a mission a charity? I don't know. Missions have kind of like, they leave a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Um, but you know, okay. She, she, she presented it as well as she could have, but I didn't see that, you know, she was on survivor to like further that didn't, she didn't take it that one step further. So I was a little confused about why we were getting that backstory. I guess in retrospect, it was so that we could have some connection with her before she leaves. Any thoughts on NECA and her little backstory? Yeah. I just, I, I don't have anything to add about yeah. it. Okay, then let's put Vessi on pause here because uh, that was all pretty self-explanatory. Let's talk about the Baca tribe, the Yellow tribe. And there's some interesting stuff going on here because Gabler slept on the beach. Uh, there's a little bit of um, talk between the girls, Ellie and Janine, about how Gabler's not fitting in. And so we see that Ellie and Janine are feel close to Sammy because they're going to Sammy and they're like, hey, like back to this idol thing, which we talked about in the in the last week's episode, that they want to make Gabler think that his idol has expired, despite the fact that it's quite clear in the explanation of his idol or the rules, the paperwork that comes with his idol, that it has not expired. It's quite like a wild and bold idea. And I don't think that the girls recognized it as a wild idea. And I don't know what's going on if they're just underestimating. If they really think Gabler is the dumbest person to walk this earth, or if they think that their skills in deception are so amazing, like Black Widow Brigade level, uh, I don't know where the disconnect is here, but I thought the whole plan was wild. What do you think about this plan of trying to convince Gabler that his idol has expired? Yeah, I thought it was a silly plan, but it was weird to watch otherwise intelligent people trying to hoodwink someone when it was... The the rules are written down. Yeah. We see the rules. Um, and I actually don't buy the fact that they think he's that stupid. Um, and then also, like, there was that whole scene when she's li literally sitting there trying to convince him and then she's convinced that he already thinks that it's expired and there's no part of her that's like has the intellect to be like oh maybe he's one step ahead of me here or maybe he's you know my equal in, in sense of intelligence so in, in essence she actually ended up looking really stupid and then also I felt like too like her partnership with Janine sometimes the show does this where it's like all of a sudden, we're supposed to believe two people that we didn't know were tight are tight. Which, on the one hand, I could I can see the argument of like, well, Evan, here you are complaining about the fact that the show's always telling, not showing. And this is an example of like, okay, they clearly have formed a bond that this is them showing that to us. Sure. Um, but sometimes I feel like it's, it's more earned where it's like, I just was like, oh, all of a sudden I'm supposed to believe 
the tribe dynamic here is the three guys and the two girls. Like all of a sudden that seemed to be like me as the viewer needs to have to catch up on the fact that that's, that's what's happened. And I just wasn't, I didn't know like when that all occurred. Well, I'm confused about what they think that they're doing. I'm confused about where they think that their alliance lies. Right. So who, like, who do they think is they're talking to Sammy, right? They, they pitched this idea to Sammy as if he's fully in with them. But last week they said, hey, the boys aren't even playing. They suck. So is Sammy their third or is Owen their third? I don't think they've made yeah. up their mind about that. And that's a dangerous place to be because clearly, it, I mean, Sammy is not with them because he goes and tells Gabler, right. you know, the plot. And Sammy is, he's not 19, right? He's, uh, excuse no, me, he, he, is he is 19. He's not 22. That's right. Got it. Okay. Woo. Okay. Yeah. That's an important distinction that I'm glad he's made multiple times for us as viewers. Actually, clearly I bungled, I bungled that, so maybe I needed it. Um, this just line funny... about the age is like, what is the point? What is the point? Does he really think, if you were out there and I don't know your exact age, but you're, you're around my age and you're younger than me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, me, well, yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you're out there and you see somebody who's, a young man. Does it matter to you if he's 19 or if he's 22? I don't see no. a difference. Who cares? Who cares? But also, not only who cares, but then also like the fact that he has made this his sole personality. Well, when I say he has made this his sole personality trait, um, there could be some <laughs> that might not be his own choice. Um, but it's just so... Uh, underlined here, which is, uh, you know, uh, a big trait of Survivor in its 40s. But it's like, literally, he wakes up in the morning and his first confession was like, got a great night's sleep, which at 22, it's just so great. You know, it's just like one of those things where it's like, where is this coming from? And also, does he, he believe it has some sort of impact on things? But yeah, to your point, you always... You you want to believe that every player that plays this game is really smart. So you've got to be thinking in a six tribe situation at all times. You need to be managing a majority, which is going to mean at minimum you're in with two other people. So when you see the these scenes, when you have a five tribe, you have to yeah. So in their mind, I guess maybe the two the two women think that Sammy's their third, but in their mind, wouldn't you be playing out the variables of well, what if he's with? the other two guys. Like, I, I, I guess mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always confused when people seem to think that they're have a really solid three because this early on in the game, it's day seven. Um, wouldn't you be thinking, well, you know, also not just, I mean, any of them, anyone you're aligned with, you have to sort of imagine, well, what if they're lying to me? What if they're lying? Like how, what are all the variables? And when you have tribes this small, the variables are, are there aren't, there are only so many. It's surprising that people just sort of seem to always think, well, I'm in with this person and we're good. Yeah. The girls really made their bed here and they have to lie in it because they voted out Mariah on the first episode, right? They The first chance they got, they destroyed this all-women's alliance that they had put together and they were so gung-ho about. And it was in order to keep Gabler. And my thought back then was, well, Ellie must have this thing with Gabler. She must be really close with Gabler. That was my read on the situation. Having seen the last two episodes, it's like she's not close with Gabler at all. So what was her concern in you know, Gabler's wanting to risk his vote to play the shot in the dark and potentially go home, which he had an idol, so they could have sent him home with an idol in his pocket. Why did she keep him around? And if they're looking for a third, why not go for Gabler? Seems like an easy number. If they think he's that dumb, then surely he would like follow them around like a puppy dog and do whatever they say, as opposed to say, and I'm looking at this from their perspective, a Sammy or an Owen is the type of player that I would see as like, they want to play hard. They want to make their mark on the game. I think that they're probably less trustworthy than Gabler. So put your time into Gabler. Don't put it into Sammy or Owen. But I think too, this is like a a moment where I sort of pausing on the pitfall of the three tribe dynamic. And I know I'm not the first person to say this. And I know we've talked about it before, but I really feel like it's starting to become clear, especially with a vote, like in this episode, how limiting these six, these three tribes of six are just by way of 
for for all the obvious reasons, right? I mean, you it, you only need three people to you only need two other people to have a majority, especially when you get down to five, or at least not be in the minority. But also, like, it's just there's less opportunity for dynamics. There's less opportunity for relationships. And also, and we talked about this maybe on the Patreon, maybe in the Borneo Recap, I'm not sure, but how much the show used to be about, like, sort of, like, tribe synergy. And it was all about sort of, like, making friends on the tribe and building a larger tribe dynamic. I mean, we we, we talked about this with our Borneo Recap, but it's like... Pagong and Tagi are all about like strength and numbers and and creating tribal bonds. Whereas it's very, this is very much a game now about like, you're sort of, you're not really a tribe. You're basically trying to find an alliance within a tribe. Your, your tribe is basically your enemy. And also a lot of these people too, like once you get to the merge, it's all about who's most willing to flip to go with another tribe Mm -hmm. or even the times when the tribes do stay together. It's often reluctantly um, instead of just being like, yeah, we've been together. Of course we want to stay together. And so it's interesting that when you only have six people, you kind of are forced into a position where it's like, whereas if you had eight or nine people on a tribe, a you're, you're there's just more opportunity to not feel like you need to, play so hard. I th- yeah, I think that's what I'm trying to say. You have to play so hard from from the outset. Yeah, and it becomes pretty formulaic. I feel like every episode in the pre-merge is like you have a tribe of six or maybe they've dwindled down and everybody has a tight two, right? Every, there's usually like a tight two and we've seen this on all of the tribes. You've got like Jesse and Cody. You've got like Carla and Gio or whoever Carla might end up with, but you've got certain people that are twos on that tribe. And then you've got Janine and Ellie and you've got like Gabler and well, we don't know where Gabler's going to land, but somewhere with Sammy or Owen. And so it's like, it's just about like which twos are going to grab a third and win out. And it's like that every time. Whereas when you have like, if we had two tribes of nine, you know, you have the potential for multiple alliances and you have the, you could have two alliances yeah. come together and work together for like a couple rounds and then split off and I it becomes more fluid. And it, so I think it becomes a lot more, it stays more static in the three tribe format. Yeah. And so that's why, and, and honestly too, at the, I mean, not to jump ahead, but when uh, Neck at the end uh, in her talking head mentioned that she was blindsided, I was like, no, she wasn't. She knew she was going home. Um, but I felt like they needed to present that after the fact to add some element of drama here just because the stakes were so low and for, for multiple reasons, but mainly because the options just get so minimal. And that's what I think makes these early episodes of the current format kind of really slow. In addition to the fact that two-thirds of the cast is not present for the back half of the episode, which is its own, you know, conundrum. And also there's less people to talk to at Tribal, just less screen time. There are so many aspects of the show that I think benefit from having the two tribes. I will be very curious to see um, if, uh, I mean, assuming that 44 is also a three-tribe split, this will be our longest stretch of three tribe uh, seasons, right? Yeah. So So I have to imagine the tinkering that's going to happen around with 45. I have to imagine, hopefully they're at least having conversations about going back to two. I just, I really miss that. Yeah. I have to say, I think that NECA was blindsided because the way that she was talking throughout the sort of pre-tribal strategy segment and then even at tribal was very i thought she was really showing her cards in that she felt completely safe and i thought for sure noelle's gonna pull out her steal a vote but of course we didn't see noelle being brought into the plan against neca we only got sort of like a couple of lines about maybe we should vote out neca between cody and jesse but i just it seemed to me the way neca was talking was it's so upsetting to come here because i have to vote someone someone being Noelle, out of this tribe, and I'm sad about that. I think that's a talking head that was coerced out of her by producers, but I think the fact that Noelle was so confident uh, in how things were going to go down signaled to me that like the ent- everyone was on the same page about it. Obviously, NECA has to cast a vote, so it's not, it's like, but I don't know, I, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm just saying I got the sense that like they sat down together as a tribe in the lead-up lead to Tribal, 
recognize that they were on a television show and the story could not be, hey, we met up, every, this is a done mm-hmm. deal. We, we have to come here and create some sort of drama. But you just didn't get the sense. I mean, not you. I didn't get the sense that there was any sort but of... They w- but, but because of some other changes that they've made, I feel like they wouldn't want NECA to know because then, then they have the chance that NECA plays her shot in the dark. And for... Cody and Jesse, that doesn't really matter if they know NECA's voting for Noel because, okay, well, then if she is safe, Noel goes home, and then it's like not the worst thing in the world. But still, you, I think you would want to prevent that being blindsided yourself. So, as a result of the shot in the dark, I feel like you want to make NECA feel safe. Okay. Well, then, wait, wait. So, then I should just say, sorry, if, but if, if what you're saying is true, it's still not a blindside. There's two variables going into this tribal, which NECA is aware of. It's either her or Nicole. So I think then what this really is a discussion of rather is like the meaning of the term blindside and how we've diluted its meaning over time, not just NECA, but by basically saying any move outside of the most expected one now is nomenclaturally, I'm making up that word, uh, meant to be a blindside. It's like, that's not a blindside. A blindside is when someone that had no idea that their name was even in contention is then sent home, which was this yeah. was not an instance of. Okay. We have a voicemail. <laughs> Before we leave the Baca drama, somebody called in to comment on what's going on. And I think it gets into the three tribe format of it all. So let's hear what they have to say. Hi, Sean. Hi, Evan. It's Ian from Florida. This simmering tension between Sammy and Ellie is just really toxic, is not something that's fun to watch. And I get that they're kind of starting to become villains, but neither one of them are fun to watch because they won't just outright say, I don't like you. I'm never going to like you. And like, they're not doing a Johnny Fairplay and Sandra moment where they acknowledge that they just don't like each other. And I feel like in this new game and new era, people are too afraid to admit they don't like one another when there's obviously people that you don't get along with. And I just feel it would make better TV and I'm kind of sick and tired of just people like having this underlying passive aggressive tension that doesn't boil to the service and doesn't go anywhere. So that's an interesting observation because first I would argue actually that the rivalry is not between Sammy and Ellie, but rather Gabler and Ellie, because as far as Ellie knows, Sammy is her ally, right? She is the one that entrusted him with sort of kicking off this plan of tricking Gabler into thinking that his idol is expired. And so I think the rivalry is really Gabler versus Ellie because now Gabler knows that Ellie is coming to him with a bold-faced lie to try to trick him out of the game, basically. Um, But to this point of rivalries and basically on-air fights, we don't really see them anymore a whole lot. And I think one of the reasons is the three-tribe format because if you're Baca and you only have five people left... If you're one of those two people that have some rivalry, to air that is to draw a line in the sand and basically say, at the next tribal, it's either you or me. And if I'm in Ellie or Gabler's position, I don't want to air that in front of the tribe because you're you're it's a 50-50 shot of you going home the next tribal. But I also just think it's seven days in. I just don't think any emotions, whether love or hate, run that deep this early in the game. Um, I think part of the thing with just, you know, because you brought it up with Sandra and Johnny is it's like they had been together for so long into the game. They had this built up frustration um, that sort of was able to boil for such a long time that I really feel like it came to a head. Whereas if again, with what you're saying, like whether or not it's Gabler and Ellie or Ellie and what's his name? The guy with. Yeah, I like Sammy's hips, by the way. But whether it's it's Sammy, whatever, I get again, we're seven days in. So I just don't think the I just don't think it's that the pendulum mm-hmm. is not wh- whichever direction it's swinging. I don't think it's swinging very much in either either direction. I think if Sammy could learn anything from Sandra, given his lie about being 22 years old instead of 19, that's not a good lie. And if there's one thing I know about Sandra, it's that she's going to tell a lie, but she's going to make it a good lie. Right. He needs to walk in there and be like, I'm 40. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. 
Okay, let's talk about the Coco tribe and the Carla bead situation. Well, can I ask something else about the Coco tribe? Sure. Because there's a comment made about how much food they have, and we get this yes. shot of them eating fruit. I just have to ask, what were your thoughts on that? That that was really odd to me on a game like Survivor. So, well, that is a good question. I think... And I'm awed that they let the talking head into the episode of her being like, all is good. Our bellies are full. We have so much food. Yeah. yeah. On the hardest Hard era is, yeah. of Survivor. So there's a couple things going on here. One is that we could be seeing this out of sequence. After, yeah, after. But and so I they thought about could that, have won some fruit. I thought about that, but I feel like 43 seasons in, aren't the editors a little bit more sad? You don't think? You're I don't know. You're going to give them credit? No, but to me, it's just such a glaring, it's such a glaring thing. And especially because there's a talking head with her referencing it. Yeah, I know. It's not just sort of like a, it'd be one thing if there was an action in the scene that took place that they needed to show. And it just so happened that they're eating during it. But like, this was a scene where like, it was literally spotlighting the fact that they're eating food. That was, yeah, I'm not sure though. So I think, I don't know this for sure. But I was thinking about where the Coco tribe is because we use the same three beaches every season. And so we know the Vesi tribe is the Yasa camp at, from 41. I can't remember who was there in 42. And I remember seeing that camp also in like Game Changers and Millennials versus Gen X because they have that sort of spit that goes out to a big rock. So it's very noticeable. I don't know this for sure, but I feel like the Coco tribe may be on the Merge Beach tribe. And I could be getting this wrong, but I think the 41 and 42 Merge Beach was the same beach. And I think back to 41 and Papaya Gate, we know that they had food out there. And we heard stories about postseason that Nasir had all this, what do you call that, breadfruit? and was making all these meals with tons of fruit that was on the Merge Tribe beach that the other beaches didn't have. And I think that's the same as, I want to say the Luvu beach, the the Erica's tribe from season 41. I had a harder time keeping track of it in 42. But all that to be said, I feel like if my theory is correct and the Coco tribe is on the Merge Tribe beach, I think it's been established historically that there is fruit around there. And so they may just be very good at like identifying it and collecting it. But even if that is the case, I think it's odd that the show would allow totally. this into the edit. Totally. Because it had nothing to do with anything. Nothing to do with it. It's and like not the, only are like they the eating papaya fruit. gate makes sense because right. that became a, an interpersonal conflict. This is an offhand comment. We, we're great. We have so much food. Right. Yeah. And it's funny because it's like we get so little of them trying to survive lately and it's like in addition to that it's like not only are we not getting them trying to survive we're getting explicit commentary about how easy life is and then you have later when jeff's like presenting the reward challenge and it's like what do they need that for they already got a reward yeah so it's james's birthday over on the coco beach and I mean, I thought it was an interesting way to start that story because they gave him a bracelet that they made out of their beads. And I thought, oh, my God, did they just hand James a whole bunch of beads that he needs for his idol if he finds a clue? Because then we get so there's sort of like a close up on that bracelet. And then James announces to everybody, well, I might just go exploring and look for an idol today. And it's like raised eyebrows all around. I don't know that I like James. Um, from what I've seen, we haven't seen a lot of him, but he seems chill. Uh, I don't know that this was the right move to just announce that. Maybe this tribe is just feeling like too comfortable with each other because they haven't had to go to tribal yet. But I thought that that was a weird thing for James to say. James follows us on Instagram, by the way. He's one of very few 43. He might be the only 43 that follows us. Mm. Shout out to James. Sorry, James, but happy birthday. James, what was that? (laughs) and so james does not go idol hunting or at least we don't see it because the person that goes idol hunting is carla and she goes out and uh, she takes this opportunity while a bunch of her tribe mates are out on the water or napping well i have a question because you get what i'm sure the editors love that camera shot and i just have to ask you 
So she finds the idol right after the camera does the pan up. And I'm just wondering, is there any way in which the you're, you know, you're aware of the camera people out there with you. If you're idol hunting and all of a sudden the camera, the camera person moves the camera, even though they're trying to focus on you, does that not, I don't know, did that ring to anyone else? This is a question I have had for years, for years. And I would like to ask people. Because the timing was such where it's like the camera moves and then all of a sudden she discovers it. And also, mind you, I do also want to say, here we have this clue is hidden in a tree. But then in last week's episode, we have a clue just sitting on a rock. Yeah. So how do they decide the difficulty with which they want the idol to be able to be found? Because these were not equal. Yeah, I agree. And also, too, it's like, okay, there's all this talk of like, it's really hard to go and look for an idol. And yet you have this moment where like, when Carla, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but when Carla goes back to re-grab the idol, where James is just lying out and she's like, I'm going to go refill my water, which is like, seems like a very easy time to just be like, I got to step away. Or also, or if no other thing, wouldn't James be like, oh, maybe she, uh, there's just like, they. I'm confused as to the difficulty of like going out and looking for idols. It doesn't seem to be, that challenging, especially when they're on the path. Um, you know, you don't really have to go searching too hard, it seems, especially in this era. So, yeah, I, that's just a lingering question that I have. I would say that her going off while James is napping and others are on the water, you know, she probably had some time to look around. I mean, we see it in one shot, you know, it's the first shot we get of her looking. I imagine she was looking for longer. And she probably had longer because James was sleeping. We have no idea where Gio was during all of this because he was specifically not mentioned in the uh, in the placement of where everybody is, that it was perfect for her to go off. Maybe he was filming a confessional or something like that. But I imagine she had some time to look the first time, right? She finds it, decides, I don't want to lose my vote. And so I'm going to put this back. Then sort of like reconsiders, has her conversation with James. James is now awake and now that she knows the precise location, it might be a lot easier to make a quick trip with, you know, the under the guise of filling up her water bottle. Uh, you know, you're not gone for too long. Like you could totally, you could do both. You could grab the thing and fill up your water bottle and nobody's uh, the wiser for that. Okay. I also just want to point out, why would you not, okay, if a thing, and I've said this before, if a thing is presented on a show like this, you're never not going to take it. And also, the show wants you to take it. And mm-hmm. despite the fact that it sort of builds in this element of, if you take it, something bad will happen, no one is not going to take Have we ever seen an instance of someone finding something and not taking it? So I recall in 41 that Jeannie found that beware advantage, and then she ran and told Ricard and Shan about it. And they said, you know what, let's leave it. Let's think about it because we can't really, let's see, let's see right, if they, right. let's see what happens here, right? Because they knew what the advantage was because Brad had already opened it. So they were like, let's wait and see what the phrase, what happens with the phrase is. But that Ricard and Shan had secretly pocketed it. Right. Um, so so there was that instance where, where Jeannie chose not to take it, but was kind of socially persuaded to do so. I just feel like, Logically, even if something bad does happen, and, and obviously now they are have enough seasons in to know that you're likely going to lose your vote, you still have the reality that someone else could find it and take it, and despite losing their vote, then have the idol. So you are, in a sense, making a risk in not taking it. So yeah, I just feel like the sort of like, will she, won't she element. I was so excited when she didn't. And I have yeah, to say, I was too. disappointed when she then went back. Um, because again, it was sort of like, well, so you're doing the inevitable. Oh, okay. Yeah, I agree. I actually thought I was really, really excited for a moment because I thought this could be, you know, no offense to Jeannie, but that she could have been a smart Jeannie where she knows the location now of the beware. She can guide someone else to it, have them take it, have them lose their vote. She's still 
in power in terms of like the fact that she has a vote. And as far as we we're aware of the, the limited information we've gotten about the dynamic of the Coco tribe is that she is kind of the swing vote. She's going to be the decider uh, between the two alliances, which one is going to prevail. And so having that vote is so important. And if she led the right person to it, she could ensure that they at least potentially lose their vote. And so, or she can help them, you know, get an idol if that's the way that she wants to go. And so I felt like that was going to be a more interesting role for her to take after finding the beware advantage. But ultimately, I think it just, you convince yourself to do the thing. Right. Also, two other things that I just wanted to bring up, which is one, and this is goes back to sort of like, when you add twists to the game, sometimes it's challenging to know how to game it all out, which is to say, one, can you find that advantage and then just bury it? and say, I'm not going to take this, and I don't want anyone else to, because I'm imagining, no. I imagine the rule is that you yeah, have to leave it. My understanding is you have to leave it. Yeah, but like again, that's sort of like, that's the fine print, right? Because in my mind, I would be like, okay, if I'm not, I'm not going to take this, I'm going to make sure no one else has the ability to take it and gain an idol. Which, yes, I think we're in agreement that you're probably not allowed to, but like, how, right? It's like, does a producer step in at that moment, like the the camera person and say, no, you have to leave that here? So that's one question I have. And then, and I know I'm not the first to bring this up, but there's a lack of understanding around with the beads, um, what happens if tribe members exit the game, right? So, so that's like, in the rules. That that So the rules state that it, the idol is only active if all members at the tribal council's beads are on it, right? So the tribal council, when you're going to play it, you have to have at least those people's beats on it. Okay, so there is a world in which like she can hang on to it and just wait for the entire her tribe to get decimated. Yeah, and but then she would have a vote the whole time. Right, but I'm just saying if she could wait. Yeah. Okay, I'm okay. Just trying to game it. Yeah. Out. Okay, got it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, but what I did like about this is, you know, I was disappointed that she went back, but I have to say I was very impressed with how she got the beads. We saw a very different approach than the one that Cody took, which was like that. He pulled in his allies, Jesse and NECA, to sort of help peer pressure people into giving him the beads, where I saw Carla really like work to each individual and what she knows about that person and leveraging the social relationship that she's built with them and also what matters to them. And I thought that that was, I thought that that was really interesting. And like, especially the one with Ryan where she was like, okay, well, Ryan doesn't want to, he wants to give me his socks, not the bean. I don't want his socks. So like, what can I do instead of just like doing a normal trade? Okay. Like I'll appeal to like what I know about him, which is that he's doing this thing for his girlfriend. And so I'll trade more beads for his bead. Okay. But Again, there was never so sure. Yes, at first he wanted to do the socks, but it wasn't like, no, I won't do the beads. I'd want to do the socks. It was just, oh, I have a better idea, the socks. And she's like, oh, no, let's do the beads. And he's like, yes. So I hear you, but we never were given any obstacle from anyone. Everyone in all of these instances we've seen has just acquiesced. Ultimately, there's never, there was a little bit of tension uh, last time around about whether or not um, it would be given over, but then it was given over. But in this instance, like they tried to frame this as though like, yeah, she's being really strategic, but I just didn't see any reason. There wasn't enough adversity that she was facing. It just seemed like everyone gave them over very easily that I did it. It didn't feel like a big win for me. I do want to say, obviously I'm really enjoying Carla. Um, but I, I, I'm not ready to designate her as mother just because I feel like, the show is really leading us to want, like leading us to hero status for her in a way that I need more time with Carla. That's just my, I have no, like I'm I'm very team Carla and I'm enjoying what we've got gotten from Carla, but I feel like, and this happened with Noelle this episode too, where it's like the show is really pushing a narrative onto me about how I should feel about a person. Um, and I, I, I'd, I'd like to get there myself. That's fair. I do just, Really, I th- and I think I said this in episode our episode one recap is that I just so appreciate the way that Carla talks to the camera, and I so appreciate the way Nicole Nicole I, that's what you called her earlier the, the way that Noelle talks to the camera because it's it's so much more natural than say a Cody, and it's more natural than like an Ellie, 
and it's more natural than a gabler. And so like, I know that that shouldn't be my defining characteristic of like how I, but, but I feel like I understand this person better because they're being real with me. Well, interestingly, I imagine that might've been what made us more warm to this episode than the past episodes, because those two people were given more of a spotlight in this episode. This mm-hmm. episode was definitely uh, spotlighted more women than men, thankfully. Um, and so I think that, that what you're saying might be one of the reasons why this episode uh, was able to go down a little easier than the first two. Which is ironic because Survivor 43 sets a record or, or cements its place in Survivor history as the first season where the first three boots are all women. That's the first time ever? First time ever, apparently. Huh. Wow. Historic. Yeah. Sad. <laughs> okay. I don't know that I have a whole lot to say about the immunity challenge. Well, well, okay. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about how simple and easy it was. Yeah. So the buoys. Do you want to talk about the buoys? I do, because that clip was like, you know, and we've watched variants of this challenge play out for <laughs> decades, plural. Um, mm. And that's not a complaint. I mean, I don't necessarily mind a repeat challenge, but one of the big struggles in the past has been when you get down under the water. And by the way, in the past, you had to go a little bit deeper. Also, Jeff was just so enamored by the dives. Um, whereas we got the famous Jonathan dive last season. This one was like, he's handing out so many participation trophies by way of complimentary compliments on dives. I was like, we get it. Lots of people here can dive into water well. Incredible. But anyway, they don't have to dive down very deep. And then once they're down there, it's just a little squeeze and it pops right up. Um, So I just was surprised with like, not only the simplicity of the challenge uh, itself, but then like it being so easy to do. Yeah, I was pretty disappointed by the clips uh, with that, what that were holding the buoy, because that's what trips people up. Like that is historically where tribes win or lose i mean besides the puzzle right because they have to keep going down under yeah unless you're aussie it's hard to hold your breath down there and then you've got to struggle with a knot and you've got to be able to see the knot and like i can't open my eyes underwater so i don't know how they do it but in order to see the knot and untie it and figure that out make sure you're not tying the knot tighter here like the clip i don't love the clip like there was no struggle to that portion Not of at the all. challenge. Also, I just don't like this whole sort of like division right now where we see it's like you either do the physical part of the challenge or you do the puzzle. And I feel like it's got to be like everyone's got to do the physical part and then you decide which of those people you want to advance on. But I just feel like it's sort of, I mean, in some senses, this sort of division would work well for like your Scout Cloud Lees of the Survivor verse. But I think there's something to be said about everyone needing to complete an aspect of a challenge because, again, when it comes to, like, the team bonding and the tribal dynamic, the idea is, like, we all got to cross that finish line together. I don't like the idea of separating the challenge. I also wanted to mention one thing, too. Editing-wise, I don't know if you caught this, but when Jeff announces the challenge and they're supposed to do that thing where they, like, clap before the challenge, you hear audio of them clapping, but no one's clapping. Did you catch that? <laughs> no, I didn't. You have to. I'll, I'm gonna. I'll clip it out and send it to you. But it's so funny because they, yeah, they they A and R'd it. Is it A and R? Whatever the term is, I don't know. A D. I don't know. Anyway, they put the the audio in because I think it's just a standard practice that the editors do. Um, but everyone, no one's clapping. That is wild. That reminds me of there was a View episode that I I like really tried to make this go viral on the Deja the View Twitter and I just couldn't do it. But the, I think it's like a Mega Malaley interview, and it's they uproarious laughter. And this is a live show. It's a live show. Uproarious laughter. They cut to the audience. Deadpan. Not a single person moving their mouth or hands. How do they, like, how? Why? And a why? This whole, like, there's this whole culture, I think it started with Millionaire, honestly, of, like, American, usually game shows, and, uh, like, uh, idol shows, and America's Got Talent, where it's just constant applause in the background. And if you really think about it, you'll start to notice it all the time, and it drives me absolutely insane. And X Factor is a good example. Right. American Idol is a really great example, where it's just, like, the audience has never seen anything like Like, they are, like, euphoric, just, like, screaming and cheering, and there's constant cuts to the audience, nobody's cheering. And I just, hey, why do we do that? That is so irritating. Anyway, now Survivor's falling victim to that as well, apparently. 
I will say to the point about everybody completing the challenge, I think that that is maybe what lost Fessy the challenge because it's like if NECA had to swim, I feel like NECA was on the puzzle because they didn't want NECA swimming or because she didn't want to swim. And I understand that. I understand that they felt like, okay, maybe she'll do less damage in the puzzle than on a swimming and diving portion. But had everybody had to do the swimming, then maybe we could have put somebody else in the puzzle that could have completed it. Right. The other thing too is if the if the um, challenges are constructed this way, I would imagine if I were playing this game, I would never want to be the person on the puzzle because knowing how easy the first half of the challenge is, but ultimately when a team loses, they're going to blame the puzzle people, right? Like you're the last leg, you sort of have to finish this out. And it's also understood that you can come back from behind on a puzzle. So even if you're a little bit slow, slower of a swimmer or have trouble with the buoy or whatever, I think the win or the lose ultimately is typically given to the people that compete, complete the puzzle. So if I was feel like if I had the choice of which of these aspects of the challenge I'm going to do, I'm always going to go with the swimming portion, especially mm-hmm. when it's this easy. Mm-hmm. I, would I just was surprised like they literally dived into water and then let go of a buoy and then pushed the buoy to the end. It was like, not only was it so simple, it just wasn't like interesting from a, uh, storytelling perspective because sometimes it's like you get challenges where like what they have to do is ultimately easy like when it comes to like pushing someone off of uh the platform right that's so simple but it's fun right to watch like how it's gonna play out and this was just very like color paint by numbers it was sort of like you know point a to point b yeah i think one of the ways that australian survivor has improved upon this is that they have done these kind of you're out and you have to dive into the water, blah, blah, blah. But they make the dive so extreme. Like you have to climb up a ladder and it's it's like incredibly high. And I know they talked about the platforms being high, but they didn't look that high. They didn't look and high. Australian Survivor has made the platform so high that people are scared to climb up. Love that. And very scared to dive off. And it's like, th- let, let's do that. I also <laughs> want to in, point out like during this challenge, <laughs> there's something about Jeff where... He just doesn't seem as excited about what's going on. And I noticed this at Tribal too. I wouldn't say it's bored or anything. It's definitely like uh, quite nuanced, but like the spark of Jeff in 41 and 42. Also, I recognize the irony of me bringing this up because we're often joking about how annoyed we are with how yeah. verbose Jeff is. And so I, I, I will say, I definitely prefer this Jeff if I, if I have my way, but I do think there was something distinct about the fact that like, Jeff just doesn't seem that enthused about things. I don't know if that was specific to the challenge, the cast, fatigue over his life. He might be still recovering from, you know, whatever. But, like, um, there's just something about Jeff. I don't know. Did you feel that way at all? Did you notice Jeff feeling a little bit more... I didn't notice it, but now that you say that, I think maybe he was a little quieter during the challenge, and I think I I liked that. No, yeah, I'm not complaining about it more. I had this specific moment in the challenge where I was like, wait, why am I invested in this? And I think partially it's because the swimming went so fast, and that tends to be like kind of a boring part of the challenge for me. It's also boring to watch people make puzzles, but like I'm talking in the whole of the challenge, if everything's equal, I the swimming, you know, it, it's a, nothing's happening, and and all of them could swim. There was nobody struggling with that, right? And so I had this moment where they're swimming, and I was like, wow, I'm really invested, and they're all like neck and neck, and like I don't know what's going to happen. And even though I'm not really cheering for any particular tribe to win or lose, um, I'm I, I'm feeling. I'm feeling invested in this challenge and I don't know what it was, but maybe it was that Jeff wasn't screaming at me telling me how to feel about it. So that's possible. But I will say that survivor man, Jeff is he's rearing his ugly head again, because at the beginning of the challenge, I I made a note about the way he was saying this and he's, he's really, he's really like doing the voice a little much for me this season where he goes, once again, immunity is back up for grabs. Like, he should almost grr after it, you know? It's, like, so crazy. I just, I'm not, I'm never going to buy that from him, especially with how he's looking these days. Anyways, Baca wins. Coco comes in second. Vessi's going back to Tribal Council. And Baca has to choose three people to go on a journey. And they choose Noel, James, and Owen. So let's talk about that journey before uh, we get back to Vessi. Um, They're going back to the island, 
the Shipwheel Island, but they're not going back to the rock that we saw in episode one. They're going into the jungle. We get a little bit of Noelle's backstory and we see Noelle sort of like, I don't know if she really struck a deal, but I felt like she did something right because she either built enough of a relationship with James and Owen or James and Owen were never going to risk their vote or she actually struck a deal with them or it's a combination of sort of all three because I don't see how you can really make a relationship well a significant relationship while walking out there I mean I guess we saw like the only one that I can think of is like Shan and Liana in 41 that they went out for their journey and really bonded but that was like a real bond that we saw I didn't see a real bond between James Owen and Noel but the fact that she was able to sort of like convince them hey she gave them enough information to say I'm actually in trouble here maybe they're afraid of the Jesse and the Cody thing, because those are maybe strong guys at the merge. And maybe she revealed a little bit about that and the way that they're playing. Um, and so she made this deal to say like, Hey, you give me this advantage thing. I'm going to make sure that, you know, once it, it's merge time, I'm going to repay you. And like, I'm going to try to get a big threat out before the merge, which I feel like is like a, a nice deal for her it's not a lot of pressure it's not like we're going to be in an alliance till the end it's not like a huge huge commitment it's just like if we're all here at the merge i'll try to repay you and i'm going to try to use this to get someone out right i think there's also a lot of positives to james and owen doing it things this way one i think one of the biggest anxieties i would have about these sorts of trips is how you get back and explain them to your tribe this to me is like a very easy explanation um it also, yeah, it gives them some sort of deal with Noel if, they, you know, when the merge comes around, potentially, hey, we did you a solid. But also, it's not like they were, like, giving Noel a power. By giving Noel a power, they were making sure that they did not lose a power. Mm. So there was something, not to be gained necessarily, but they were allowing themselves not to lose something by giving her that gain. So I don't think it was necessarily, like, altruistic of them. Um, and I don't necessarily think Noel had to, like, use her powers of convincing because they they get they benefited from this deal so yeah. i think it was more just convenient for them and she might have sold it well but she has a line later when she talks about how she might have more tricks up her sleeve and everything about noelle's um like this idol is all circumstantial it was not things that like noelle like maneuvered this might be the best example of something she was able to maneuver but again I don't think this was like great gameplay on Noelle's part so much as like her taking advantage of a good situation that she found herself in. I should say you called it an idol. It's not even an idol. It is a steal of vote that she got. And so it's like, why in episode one did Gabler get an idol out of this situation? And here in episode three, Noelle's only getting a steal of vote. Interesting. I will say though, in some ways it's like, a steal a vote is essentially, we've talked about this, but like it's two powers that you're given because you're stealing a vote and gaining a vote. It's mm -hmm. a very powerful thing, but I agree with you. Not the same as an idol. It but can be. I don't think we've ever really seen a steal of, oh, maybe once. But it's very rare that a steal of vote actually has changed. I think it only happened one time. Well, right, but. A steal of vote changed the vote. But if the steal of vote had been used in this episode, it mm -hmm. would have been an example of the the vote like the seal of vote being more powerful than the idol in that if no. it ha had it been used in this episode yes like seal of vote can be more powerful because it can give you but that's again why the seal of vote when you're talking about a tribe of five has a lot more power than the seal of vote post merge so it's it's there's a lot more timing involved which is again another reason why I don't love these sort of these smaller tribes because when you do have an advantage it's a much bigger advantage. Yeah, that's why Agreed. in some senses it actually worked to Noelle's disadvantage the way things played out because yes she survived but she would have been able to make a huge game move both for her resume but also just I think it would have been a great moment for the show had she been able to use the vote in this episode and she won't be able to get I mean unless something all the cards align for her um, the cards align the deck the deck is stacked whatever it's going to be hard for her to take this and utilize it in a way where everything where people are coming after her and her steal vote is that vote is the vote that flips the game yeah 
Well, I think it, it could happen if Fessy goes back to tribal because now it could be a 2-2 with Jesse and Cody versus Dwight right, and but, Noel. Right, but the disadvantage of Vessi going back to tribal is that we're spending then a third tribal with one tribe and losing those two tribes for yet another episode, which again, to me, is this sort of disadvantage where like, yes, to your point, that would be super exciting, but it costs us the idea of it would be like what happened to Erica's tribe during 41, which is that like we have this tribe that keeps winning and as a result, we never meet any of them, mm-hmm. which I think is a oh, big yeah, disadvantage. Yeah. yeah, I'm not saying from like um, right, right, uh, right. Yeah. a script writing point of view, right. but, but from a game, from Noelle's game point of view, she can use that if they go back. But outside of that situation, I don't really see one total post-merge where, and I hope, Maybe I'll be wrong, but I don't really see one where the steal of vote's going to really change the vote for her. I want to say, too, getting these backstories for NECA or Noelle, I don't think I learned much about either of them. I learned yeah. about their stories, but I don't think I learned a lot about who they are as people. And I think that that's one of the big I mean, amongst the many issues with the backstories here, but like, I still going into week four. I don't have a clear sense of Noelle. I don't really feel any type of way about her as a character, despite getting a ton of time with her in this episode. Um, I'm not rooting for or against her. And typically it's like, again, to like bring up Johnny Fairplay. One of the great things about Johnny Fairplay, what makes him so such a great villain is like, you're actively rooting against him. You're invested in how much you hate him. And I just don't, I want to feel something about Noelle and I'm not sure I got there in this episode or NECA. Yeah, we're getting facts. And even NECA's facts weren't about her. It was about something she cares about. So I think that's a problem. And we also got one. So, I mean, when Noelle goes back and uh, I did like this, that she kind of like showed them everything, showed her, showed them her bra and, and she had hidden the advantage in her foot. Uh, but you know, after she goes back and they're having to figure out what to do, uh, we do get, like, I don't know that I needed it, but we get this thing about how, well, NECA's a, a mother figure to Jesse and Wait, he's going to struggle voting we gotta her talk out. About Let's talk about it. Well, it's like, she reminds me of my mom. My mom's dead. Yeah. It's like, it's dark. It's really dark. But I feel like in that moment, I, I think that the difference is like that. I, I did learn a fact about him, but I also learned it in conjunction with how he's feeling in the game. Yeah. And like, maybe it's a bit of a jump to be like, my mom died and now like I'm voting out my dead mom from the game. I don't know that I make that connection quite so much that, that the show is trying to make for me. But but through the process of learning this fact about Jesse, I learned about him his emotions maybe right. and like how his life is coming into the game a little bit. But we also too have that ongoing issue of like the way that like older women are just yeah. assigned this role of like mom and not just human being. I mean, I, that's how he feels. That's how he feels, right? Like if, if that's, if this person reminds him of his mom, it's not, it's not a knock against him, but it's just like, we're doing this yet again. What I did appreciate was that he had specific pieces of evidence as to why she reminds him of his mom, like that they did certain things or whatever. Um, Like that, I appreciated that it wasn't just, she's the older woman and therefore she's the mother of the tribe. And therefore I feel like I'm in my Sierra Easton era. Oh God. (laughs) So Noel tells Dwight about the advantage. I mean, we get this talking head from Noel being like, Everyone knows not to tell anybody about your advantages, but I'm telling telling Dwight. And so I really thought that she was going to play it this episode because why else tell Dwight except that you need him to vote the same way as you? Ultimately, they didn't need that at all. And she didn't need to tell Dwight. So I think that's like my one knock against uh, uh, Noelle's gameplay here. Okay. Tribal Council, I have one thing to say about this. Jeff. Whew. He, the the giddiness with which he responded to the ranking of how everybody's feeling about the vote tonight. Jesse is fantastic, according to Jeff, for saying the number 10 instead of nine. He's fantastic. <laughs> Jeff was laughing like he was RuPaul anytime Lawrence Cheney opened her mouth. 
Jeff had never seen something so funny in all his years on Survivor. <laughs> Just bizarre. It's bizarre behavior. Also, and- I mean, sorry, not for nothing, like, Jesse, it didn't land because the cho- what he was trying to say would have worked if everyone was giving a different sort of scale here, but it was just two different types of scale. Yeah. So I feel like Jesse actually, not only was Jesse not to, to, to use Jeff's term fantastic, I thought the point he was trying to make was like just dumb to begin with. But like Jeff's barometer for fantastic, it's like, we need to have a check-in. Angelina is fantastic. That is fantastic. Season yeah. 37 is fantastic. Cass is fantastic. Fantastic. Mm, wait, I don't agree. But. At Tribal? Cass, that, that's where she gets the name Chaos Cass. I'm not going to, I can't, I'm not going to do that mm. with both of you, but <clears throat> fine. But, but. Needless to say, this does not meet the benchmark of fantastic. This to me isn't even giving lukewarm. This is just there's water. So you're giving a, you're giving a five. <laughs> what was the other metric? <laughs> the other metric was just words. Yeah, I'm okay. feeling extremely confident. Yeah. Also, like, what is Jeff getting at with asking that? question like it's like jeff feels like he's gonna like extract some interesting like perspective here and it's like so clearly four people feel really good one person's not sure and he's acting like this has never happened before i mean he is in uh, not to go back to borneo but let's go back to borneo when he asks the pagong tribe who's feeling confident jervis puts up his hand and he berates him for it and then he says now who's feeling vulnerable and jervis puts up his hand right. he's been doing this over the years of like how ev- how confident is everybody about the vote and now he's like oh my god people are answering my question it's like oh my god it's like go get a ring light um but one <laughs> last thing i wanted to say about jeff though that i did notice at the end of this episode is he did the grab your torches and head back to camp and it's like Part of what goes back to my theory about Jeff not sort of digging this season so far is like there was no, you know, Jeff like, likes to do his little like comment at the end. Like you think you've got yeah. friends, but you guys clearly have a lot to work out. Have a nice walk back. It's like he didn't have any like thing to say because there was nothing to say about this tribal. Like it just they voted out the weakest player, which is very by the book of how you play the game of Survivor and how anyone would play any game in which, you know, you're trying to maintain strength. And I just felt like Jeff's lack of even like trying to put something in there to me. And again, maybe I'm reading into this, but it was like that to me was a signal of Jeff's sort of just lack of investment in this season so far. They gave NECA the hero music on the way out. They did. Interesting choice. Yeah. Mark Burnett probably stepped in on that one, given their given their ties to, you know who. Mm-hmm. Can you hear all the sirens in the background here? Well, I turn my volume down very low when I'm recording, but I can usually yeah. hear them in the in the last. I think in the last Borneo episode, there was a lot of honking on yeah. your end. I'm not loving it. That's uh, you. You live in the city that never sleeps. Hello. <laughs> Okay, anything else to say about this episode? Hey, in the preview for next episode, we're getting a camp raid, which I'm very excited about because we haven't seen a camp raid, I think, since Cagayan. And that's a classic, I mean, a classic Pearl Islands moment. Well, right, but my concern is, like, what is there to raid? Because we have, it's only... all of Coco's fruit? Well, that's true. But I'm just saying in the sense that, like, the camp raid's usually more fun when you've had some reward challenges where, like, you want certain things. But I'm just not sure what's really up for I'm going to take the rusty nails. Yeah. Yeah, there's no tarps. Usually you would want the tarp. Right, I'm just like, I'm not sure what you're getting from... That's a good point. It would be fun if you could take people's personal items. Yeah. Oh, it would be great as if you could take the beads. Yeah. See, that oh, to me yeah. is like, there you there you get some drama. What about how... What if it's... Oh my God, wait. Who's our... Who's verging on mother? What's her name? Carla. So Carla, knowing what she knows about it, goes over to the other beach. She's the one. Spots Gabler's wristband... And honestly, the rule is you can have whatever you want, spots it, and grabs it. That, to me, is like, then you got something iconic on your hands. Yeah. 
True. And why I hate the rule of the beads that you can't steal the beads. Yeah. I mean, I get it. And I, I, I do kind of like that. Okay, you have to socially, you know, you have to use your social skills to get this. But as we've seen, it, it hasn't been that difficult. And so like, actually, it'd be more fun to steal or make it a more difficult item to steal. Yeah, right? like steal something from someone's torch or like steal something from their person, like, like their shoelace, or I don't know what it is. But like, I'll workshop it. <laughs> I was a little disappointed that we got beads again. Like that it's the same. Now we're going to have to watch the Baca tribe collect beads. It's right. like, let's do something a little different every time. It'd be fun to like, you know how some, oh, I don't think they do it anymore. They used to hang their names off their torches. Like the, each torch had like a name tag. It'd be fun to try to get that because it would be like, why do you want that? That's my name. I'm going to think about this and come back with more ideas for the survivor producers. But in the meantime, everybody go check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash drop your buffs, where we are recapping Borneo. Uh, we have our recap of episodes two to four up there now. If you enjoyed episode one, which was on the main feed, uh, we will not be putting them on the main feed uh, moving forward uh, for the time being. So you will have to go to Patreon to listen to our continuing recap of Borneo. You'll also get video of our interviews with survivor alumni you'll also get uh depending on the tier that you subscribe at you'll also get our season rankings which the first round of that is going to come out soon we have sorted them at a high level and then we will continue to rank them and then talk about them you'll also get advance notice of interviews we do and an opportunity to ask questions to survivor alumni so go check out everything we have going on at the patreon the good news is that patreon has finally changed its draconian billing system so you are no longer billed on the first of the month so you can join at any time and you will be billed on the day that you join so uh, no excuses anymore time to go check out the patreon also subscribe to this podcast rate and review it if you liked it and look forward to uh, a couple of weeks of some guest hosts we'll be i might, I might be struggling through it without evan but we will see uh, we've got some fun people potentially lined up so who knows tune in next week and you may hear a f- familiar voice or you may hear a new voice it was nice knowing you I want to leave you all with today's emoji for the comment section. We're going to go with, it's the binoculars um, that were, air quotes, needed in order to complete the immunity challenge in this episode. Because, you know, you had to dive under and, and you know, <laughs> free that buoy um, with those binoculars. So please this one's use, abstract a bit. <laughs> yeah. So please use the binoculars. Okay. Binoculars it is. I think Thank you I so think much. Oh. oh sorry, I was gonna say I think I was less no, negative. No. Oh totally. Okay. I'm working on Thank it, you people. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.